People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just gonna be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds. Will the downtrend in oil continue? Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, November 7th, 2023. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Dave Floyd, founder of Aspen Trading Group. Dave, welcome back to the show. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ash. I really do appreciate it. Excited to have you here. A quick note before we get started, for all of our Real Vision members, we've rolled out the new Real Vision 2.0 platform. You can join us there at realvision.com forward slash new. That's realvision.com forward slash new. Check your email. Uh, you'll have access in it there. You can click on the link. There's some really amazing and cool new features I've been playing around with. It. It's pretty awesome. Dave, let's jump right in. Uh, we started the show off asking this question about the downtrend in oil. Big picture, where are we there? I know you've brought some charts. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to show the chart of USO, which is the ETF. I don't, I don't trade oil futures, um, just not anything that I've. That's that's usually been in my um, stable of products, but I certainly keep an eye on USO. Probably a little bit more accessible for most viewers and most traders and most investors. Um, you know, I've actually been bearish on oil even at the height of the whole situation in the Middle East. And again, it's not to say that oh, you know look how good my forecast was. But I think it's more a function of trying to approach market markets without the emotion and without the subjectivity. Um, and that's where I find the real value in, in charts and price levels, because they kind of cut through all that. They let you know what the market's actually doing as opposed to what you think the market should do. So yes, I am bearish oil. We've been, uh, USO has been at 75.20 a couple of times, which has been like a downside target. We're below it today. You know, we blew right through it and we're sitting right at the next level that I thought it would get to, which is right around 71.72. We might pause there for a little bit, but I think we're ultimately heading down towards 65 on USO. May not be a one-way train. It may, you know, take some time, but I don't see any reason to be long oil here absent some geopolitical shock, which of course we can't forecast in advance. Right, almost by definition. Dave, walk us through what you see there on the chart uh, and what gives you the sense of where that support and resistance level is on USO in your view? Yeah, I think when people look at these lines on the chart, it, it can be a little bit confusing. It seems very compartmentalized. Um, you know, what is the, the color designation? And I think, you know, giving a little bit of an overview of kind of how I'm framing the market would, would probably help quite a bit. 
Um, again, I, I want to focus on being objective about my analysis. And that, what I mean by that is I want the market to kind of tell me what it's doing, planning to do, and you know what it will do once certain um, things are met. So the only way I can think of to do that is to use readily available market information, which is price, volume, and time. Anybody has access to it. There's nothing proprietary about it. And for me, it's all about locating areas in the market where there's been a lot of price persistency, i.e., you know, trades, the amount of volume that took place at those, frequency of trades, and then under which time frame? Is it, you know, a relatively short time frame? Was it over a longer period of time, really long period of time? So that gives me a kind of a mosaic of, you know, how long that price has been persistent at. I look at that as really fairly straightforward. That's giving me levels in the marketplace where prices are likely to have a reaction. So when the market gets to those levels, it's probably going to either blow right through it or more likely than not, the market will pause for a little bit and give us an opportunity to evaluate what we do at that price level. So it takes my view, my subjectivity completely out of the equation. So everything that you're looking there, looking at on the chart right there is simply a representation of different price levels that represent different look back periods, you know, each one successively longer, therefore more important. And they're, they're simply color coded for ease. So, so let's walk through what some of those numbers represent. Are those a, is that a Fibonacci retracement sequence that we're seeing? Where, where are the baselines for those numbers? I, I guess not because it's asymmetric. Yeah, no, they're they're not Fibonacci. Again, the levels are simply um, a calculation that's done on my charting software that takes into consideration where trades have taken place at a high frequency, high relative volume over a specified period of time. So it just gathers that information and spits out a value. So yes, it's based on an algorithm that, that goes back and calculates all that data and then simply plots it on the chart. So all that's basically telling me is it's a, it's kind of like a footprint, for lack of a better word. It's a footprint of here's where, like for instance, 71.95. That's a purple line. That is the longest look back period that I look at. It goes back a very long period of time. So that's telling me that a tremendous amount of volume and trades took place at that level over a long period of time. Therefore, you have to be attentive to that level. The market's not going to ignore that because there's a lot of history there. So that's how the levels come about. So it's a it's a volume weighted price over a given look back period that suggests to you, depending upon whether it's above or below the line, that it's a support level or a resistance level. Yeah, I guess I should have asked you to come up with a much cleaner phrase than you certainly did. Well, that's why you wrote a book. So <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not me. You're the expert here, Dave. But tell us what kind of look back periods do you look at and how do you calculate them? Or is it just strictly a volume weighted uh, sort of basis where you let the look back period be dictated to where the prints took place? No, the, the look back period is, is um, you know, based on, I guess, trading style. You know, I, I want to have a short term look back period that's going to give me some recency um medium term you know for some swing trading some medium to long term and then longer term stuff if you're like kind of a portfolio manager now granted the levels are they're agnostic meaning that the market's going to encounter these levels and likely have a bit of respect for them meaning it 
you know, the market will do something around those levels. Naturally, the longer the look back period, the more significant it is. The only thing that changes is that the look back period can adjust based on volatility. If it were in a really volatile period, I might shorten up those, not I might shorten up, the, the algorithm will shorten up those look back periods just to give more fresh information that's relevant to what's happening currently. So um, the, the look back period, I think, is actually quite significant because it allows you then to factor in where are we now relative to where we were in the past. So you know, if we're coming into a, a purple level, which is the longest look back period, anything below that level is pretty bearish because, you know, you've broken down through a support level that looks back a long period of time. And talk to us a little bit about the, the discrepancy. I mean, one of the interesting things that when you look at this chart, you see uh, the, the levels seem to gap broader or wider uh, on the downside than to the upside. What does that suggest? You see, it, it seems as though they're more clustered. It's an asymmetric distribution. It might just be, um, might be just in this particular instance, but that that's normally, you know, that 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 just might be the uh, instant in this particular instance. When we look at some other charts, probably won't see that same thing because um, it has really nothing to do with upside momentum or downside momentum. It's just based on you know where prices have been in the past, and then plotting them, you know, with a historical look back period. And I think the other key thing that is is it, what's really helpful about these is that if you if you if current prices are below a whole cluster of longer term resistance levels or longer term support levels, that gives you a sense of what the overall strength of the market is. So you know if we're if price action is obviously above a cluster of these levels, that indicates that obviously there's a strong market momentum. And again, I'm stating the obvious here, but again, it's just one of those other little things that kind of weighs on what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, if you're getting short, let's let's say I wanted to get long USO because I saw an intraday pullback. Well, that, that's perfectly legitimate. It doesn't mean I can't make a trade, but if I take a quick look at the chart, I know that there's a ton of overhead resistance Therefore, I don't want to fall in love with that trade. There's probably right. limited upside, but it doesn't mean I can't navigate in and out over a day or two because price action indicates that. But it also keeps me from getting too in love with the position and not losing track of the bigger picture. Yeah, once again, as always with trading, time horizons are key to understanding anything uh, about how you're going to position yourself. Uh, Dave, you mentioned, I know you brought some other charts here. Uh, one of the other things I'm interested in talking about is S&P 500, obviously, mm -hmm. something that a lot of folks are watching. Uh, let's pull that chart up and tell us what you see there. Well, it's interesting. I know you guys are going to play a clip at some point um, from another guest who was approaching it more from a macro standpoint, but I would 100% agree with his, his, his findings. This is really quite interesting. Everybody's you know been a raging bear, and then we put in this really, really solid rally over the last week. And that's just kind of how cruel markets can be. You know, it was easy to be bearish. I mean, there was a lot of things on the horizon that suggested the economy was slowing. But again, if we go back and look at the markets that as a discounting mechanism, that was kind of old news. But what's important now is, you know, now what? We've had a big rally up. I don't want to be bearish per se because there's no evidence to be that way just yet. However, we are coming into a pretty key resistance level, as you can see right here. And at about 4409, put on my glasses here to get the exact level. Yeah, but 44, 4403, 
pretty big resistance level. So one of the things you want to be aware of, regardless if it's these levels or any other price levels that you want to use, is that you don't approach it from the standpoint of blindly selling into resistance and blindly buying into support. You kind of want to take the temperature of the market. And right now, there's no reason for me to say, oh, I'm going to be bearish into this level. Now, that may, I may end up missing a great trade. We could wake up tomorrow morning and the S&Ps are lower. Well, so what? That, that's in the long run, in my view, kind of a poor and kind of a sloppy and lazy way to approach trading. If I know that that's a resistance level, I need to wait for the market to start to kind of break down, you know, start to look for other things that are, you know, going to complement that. You know, maybe the volatility index starts to rise. You know, maybe some of the tech stocks begin to break down. Then I'm much more inclined to, you know, sell into that into that resistance level. But until that is proven otherwise, I'm just looking at that going, okay, I got a possible trade here but the conditions aren't right for it just yet. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, it's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series how to unfuck your future so we're going to do it again march 11th march 22nd we'll discuss the problems at hand no holes barred and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future it just costs a dollar to join real vision to get access to all of this content go to realvision.com forward slash the future i'll see you there let's unfuck your future together well, you know, Dave, you mentioned uh, the conversation with Andreas Steno Larson that we had on Real Vision, who also mm -hmm. sees some bearish signals on a technical side uh, from the S&P 500. Let's take a look at that conversation. Let's have a look at the development in equity space from a technical standpoint in chart number one um, on, on, on this week's uh, slide deck. If we look at the S&P 500 from a technical perspective, and it's not necessarily my thing to look at technicals, uh, but I think it's so relevant here since we've had uh, a couple of similar rallies uh, over the course of the late summer and early autumn. And as you can see, we've been trading this channel downwards and given the sort of reluctance to price uh, equities higher here over the past 48 hours, roughly, I tend to think that this looks like a technical setup um, bound for a reversal lower again in equities. And I also think that technical picture rhymes with the more fundamental picture for the U.S. economy and for the U.S. yield curve. Well, as Andreas just said, quote, I tend to think that this looks like a technical setup bound for a reversal lower again in equities. And then he follows it with this, which is interesting. And I also think that the technical picture rhymes with a more fundamental picture for the U.S. economy and the U.S. yield curve. Uh, so what Andreas is saying there is he sees a technical setup to the downside, and he also sees that being supported by a broader, more fundamental downside bearish sentiment. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with that. And I think to be effective in the marketplace, you do have to take in other inputs because it does matter, but you, you, you have to, at least in my view, as a shorter term technical trader, I want to keep those on the periphery. I want to be aware of them. I can't be blind to that. Um, but the way I look at 
most analysis that people do is that, yes, that's great analysis, but in, un, until the market collectively agrees on that, it's just your observation. And in order to get prices to move in any significant manner, you got to get the whole market behind it. And that's why I'm trying to approach it on a day-to-day -day basis as objectively as possible. And if I can know where price levels are that have historically been active, that to me gives me the better odds of success. So are we going to go lower from here? Well, it's entirely possible because um, if you look at the um, the rally up off, uh, actually, I take that back, not the rally, the sell-off from July, you know, it looks as though you could have a completed correction given the magnitude of the rally since then. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of negative things on the horizon and, and we don't know. So rather than me saying, yeah, I am bearish because that seems like the right thing, I'm going to wait for the market to kind of give me a little heads up. We're at a, I think what's important for the viewers to take away is that we're at levels in the market that suggest that we could be at one of those levels where you could start to build short positions. Now, conversely, if we go above this level and hold it, maybe retest it once or twice, then you got to be bullish. I mean, again, there, there's nothing wrong with changing your opinion because because um, price action has changed. Um, the market's always right, and I can't impose my will on the market. Yeah, extremely well said. Uh, Dave, I wanted to talk a little bit about the euro. My screen just blacked out. I don't know if you can still see me, uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the euro. I know you've got some charts there. I do. And, you know, euro is a great, I think, a great example of kind of a dual time frame analysis that you want to look at. And there's no doubt that the, 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 the trend in the euro is clearly down. Yes, we were off the lows, but I look at that price action off of the um, November lows, not the November lows, I take that back. Let me expand my, um, let me pull up the longer term chart here. Hold on for a second. Off of the October lows, and all I see right there is a lot of overlapping price action after a very clearly defined trend lower. So I'm just using classical technical analysis here. I'm not using levels. So I'm just looking at this going, okay, Downward trend, i.e. bearish, very choppy, corrective move higher, hard to be bullish, but that doesn't mean that we can't find long opportunities on a day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, but don't fall in love with them because the overall trend still remains down. Now, what I think is really fascinating is that we're at the upper end now of that um, one of those price uh, sequence of prices, which is about 107, 107 and a quarter, right in that area. If we're going to reverse lower, this would probably be the level that that would happen from. I'm not saying that will happen, but it could happen. And if that's not dodging the question, that's just simply saying, here's a line in the sand that the market's clearly laid out for us. I haven't thought of it. I didn't come up with some clever trend line um, connecting dots and making a trend line to come up with this. Market's telling us this is a key level. What we do with it now requires observation. If I had to make a guess, I'd say Euro is probably going to be going lower given, the, given what the overall technical picture looks like. But again, I'm not going to get wed to that picture. We close above that 107.25 and hold it for a day or two or even several hours. For me, I'm happy to go long. I'm also happy to go short if it, if it, if it fails to hold above that and, and hopefully you know, prices then move lower from there. So again, 
there's always a scenario one and a scenario two you have to consider when you come to these levels. It's your job as a trader to kind of gauge what's the market telling me to do with this at this point in time. And, you know, unfortunately, that's a little bit where the art comes in, you know, a lot of experience and feel. But you do gain that with time. It's kind of hard to teach it in a simple formulaic equation or formulaic, you know, you know, paragraph in a trading book. But um, at least if you're looking at price levels, you're going to keep yourself on the right side of the of the playing field, so to speak, and you know, maybe minimize the damage as you're going through that learning curve. Dave, let me ask you a question. Since you mentioned the longer term trend, for anybody who's followed this chart uh, over the last 20 years, they know that uh, EURUSD peaked uh, prior to the global financial crisis. Uh, I think it just shy of a buck sixty. Let me ask you this: When you know that the broader trend uh, it has been secularly lower over a you know a decades long time horizon, you say you know happy to go long, happy to go short. But does that inform your decision making process that over time the majority of the price action has been down on a secular basis, or is that something that just gets filtered out as you look at it on a narrower time horizon? I I agree with the logic, but I think going for me to go to a look back period that far back. Then I, you know that loses the plot for me because it's right. just too far out of the realm. But would I look at let's say, um, you know the 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 chart over the last three months? Okay, now we're talking something that's within grasp, right. something with that's more relevant. Now, if you're a swing or to medium term swing position trader and you want to look at your at the at the idea that you uh, propose there, absolutely, I love that logic. I'm a big proponent of having a couple of time frames. You have your execution time frame, it could be a five minute chart, it could be a weekly chart, daily, whatever it is. You should have a chart that's one time frame higher as kind of your filter, kind of like your, your guardrail. It's like, oh, I'm about to get short the euro here, but the next time frame higher is saying, mm, probably not going to work. And that's a really, really effective way to kind of keep yourself from getting into trades and then going, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't look at one time frame higher. I could have saved myself X amount of dollars. Yeah, so this is really interesting. So you're saying essentially one time frame higher, but on the time horizons in which you're trading, it doesn't really matter. The secular trend since 2008, you kind of filter that out. That's noise to you. It is. I mean, to put it in black and white terms, if I'm trading the S&Ps, I'm looking at one and five minute time frames because you know, I'm intraday trading them. Mm. Currencies, I might be looking at a 60-minute and a 240-minute chart. That's what I consider the next time frame higher. I don't consider going from an hour to two hour. I go from a one hour to a four hour. That's what works for me. Maybe for some people, it's a one and a three hour. But you know, something within the realm, you know, not too far outside, you know, that time frame. So I think that's helpful. And but again, you know, going to that secular that you're talking about, if you're looking at daily and weekly charts, yeah, let's look at the quarterly charts. Absolutely. Right. Dave, do you basically come out flat at the end of each day or do you carry positions over intraday? Um, S&Ps flat every day for the most part. Um, if I do have positions in the S&P, I'll usually do that through options. Um, so just you know, a lot less price volatility by doing it that way. Uh, currencies, though, you know, like the euro or yen, I, I can be in those positions for a few days, maybe a week or two. Mm. Dave, we've got a lot of questions coming in and there's one from Trillion X Macro uh, that I know dovetails with something that you want to talk about. Uh, Trillion X asks, any view on the gold chart? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really, 
And again, I'm looking at GLD. I don't trade gold futures, so I just look at GLD as, as the barometer. And since I don't trade it, I just need to use it as a reference point. I actually this like is, GLD. Uh, this quite is Spider a bit. Gold Trust for those wondering. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, again, using price levels, the market's telling me that this 182 level should be a pretty good um, support level. You know, if you look at the chart off of the October lows, we've been straight up, which is great. And now we're having the, kind of the first pullback. And if we're going to hold, I'd like to see us hold here. So, you know, there's a couple of different ways you can play that. You know, there's no wrong way to play it. It's based on your preference and your risk tolerance. I've got plenty of clients and colleagues that they'll buy into that support level, have a stop underneath it. I happen to tend to take a slightly different approach. I want to see how the market reacts to that level. Then I'm willing to play ball. There's no wrong or right. It's just preference. But the bottom line is, for me, 182 is kind of the heads up. Hey, there's an opportunity here. Um, and you can either, you know, get you know, short a put spread. You can go long calls. You can go long the outright, whatever. You don't have to give it much room under 182, though. It can be 180, 181. If it, if it closes below that level and can't get back above it, that's your out. There's no reason to rationalize it any more than that going, well, you know, yeah. Once it closes below, the market's telling us it doesn't want to hold that level. Therefore, you're out and you're on to the next trade. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Speaking of on to the next trade, Dave, we've got a bunch of questions coming in from our Real Vision audience. Uh, a couple of questions here I see about mega cap tech large tech stocks, uh, AJ Steininger, uh, Oliver M. Let me just go to AJ's question. This is a nice uh, crisp one. Does Dave have a view on mega cap tech? I wish that I did, but I don't. However, I do track XLK, which is the ETF, the technology ETF yep. throughout the day, simply as a way, again, as a way to take a, the temperature of the market. So if I'm looking to get long the S&Ps, let's say, or get, looking to get short the S&Ps at any given point in the day, I kind of want to know what tech stocks are doing because they are influential. Now, two years from now, we could be looking, we may not be looking at tech stocks. It'll be some other industry or indice or, you know, basket of stocks that, that is a driver of the market. But that's where we are here in 2023. So I don't do a deep dive on XLK to find levels for that. I'm just looking, I'm kind of looking over out of the corner of my eye going, okay, is tech support in this rally or this sell-off? Yes or no. And then I use it as a barometer. So sadly, I don't have a, a longer term view on that. But I think what I can add to the equation is that if you're trading other markets, make sure technology's along for the ride. Because um, again, as many things as you can check in terms of the boxes to make a trade, do it without being, you know, paralysis by analysis. Dave, let me ask you a question. I'm not quite sure how this fits in with uh, the way you see markets, but uh, since you, we bring up big cap tech, this is the XLK that you were mentioning, Technology Select Sector Spider Fund, up year to date 
41%. That tracks almost exactly with what we see in the NASDAQ 100, up just shy of 41% year-to-date. Here's where it gets interesting. S&P 500 up about 14.5% year-to-date, but equal weighted S&P 500 down half a percent on the year. So what you see is this intense concentration in those mega cap tech stocks pulling up the weighted index, while on average, you see these are, if you on an equal weighted basis, negative for the year. Yeah, I mean, God, where do I start with that? I'm glad you threw that out there because one, it's interesting. And two, in my view, you know, it's a little bit problematic, but at the same time, how do you predict when that shift happens, you know, away from, or even does it even intensify? And again, this is for people who really like to do a deep dive, think about these things. But I remember Mike Green from years ago was just like, Hey, as long as that 401k and, you know, dollar cost averaging money is coming into index funds, right. The party's going to keep going and you can't, Again, that's a perfect example of you having no control over that. You could say this is silly. It's ridiculous. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it is. And, <laughs> and you, can't, you can't fight it. So, again, that's what takes me back. Go back to price levels. If price levels are saying go long, then, you've got, then you know you're in harmony with the market. Uh, but to kind of go back to what you were saying there, yeah, I mean, that, that is the reality of our day. And I think that's why people can can easily get bearish because they're like, well, every other stock is down or underperforming. And that is true. That is absolutely true. But um, the, the party will march on until um, until it doesn't. And I know that's a really lame cop out answer, but that, that is the absolute truth. I guess all of this is the subset of the truth that you said uh, at the top of the show, which is the market is always right. It is. It is. And the, the quicker you can get your head around that and realize it's not about what you think, because by and large, it's not that the market doesn't care what you think. The market may not even know what you're thinking and therefore can't even attach itself to that reality. And I know that sounds really ethereal, but the, the, the simple way to say that is even if you identify a great trade setup, unless the rest of the market recognizes it, it doesn't mean it's like chopping down a tree in the woods where nobody's around. Nobody cares. Again, Go back to price levels. Go where the market already is and then hitch your wagon to that. That's the easiest, not the easiest, but that's the least, that's the path of least resistance to, to becoming a profitable trader and or investor. We've got one more question that I want to touch on. This is also from Shirley Next Macro, uh, who asked one of the earlier questions. Uh, this is uh, an interesting question because it speaks directly to what you do. Shirley Next wants to know, do you use RSI MACD. This is relative strength indicator, moving average, convergence, divergence. I use stochastics. You can kind of throw those into the same into the same pot. They're basically attempting to measure overbought and oversold. But again, the challenge there is that it's a subjective measurement because it's on a scale of zero to a hundred. You know, it's it's not a it's a very capped scale, and you can have overbought becomes more overbought, 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 and oversold. Same thing there. However. I do find some value in that because if I'm looking to get long something and let's say the stochastics or the RSI is in an overbought territory, maybe I do give myself a little bit of pause and maybe I wait for a little bit of a pullback. Um, it's not the deciding factor for me, but I do think it's a good filtering mechanism. And I think that traders, especially newer traders, 
should probably use that just as a way to kind of prevent themselves from getting their hand slapped. It doesn't mean the trade won't work. What it means is that you're going to get into the trade and you're going to take some, you're going to take a drawdown for a little period of time, which you may have been able to avoid. Nobody wants to go into a drawdown the minute you get into a trade. So maybe if you take a quick look at the RSI on, on the execution time frame that you have or the stochastics, you might look at that and go, a little overbought right here. Let me let prices come back in a little bit, then I'll get long. Because even if they come back in a little bit, it's not going to change the overall scenario you're looking at more than likely. But it just might give you a slightly better entry price. And then the market starts to move in your favor. That gets you off to a good start mentally on the trade. Because again, we've all been there. You get into the trade and the market immediately marks it lower. And it's like, it, it just sucks. It's a, it's a crappy way to get off, get your trade off, even though it might work. It's just a crappy way to get into the trade. So I think those tools can be very helpful from a filtering standpoint. Dave, it's always such a pleasure when you join us here. Uh, a lot of experience doing this. Always a pleasure to hear your perspective. We've got about 30 seconds left. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and our listeners with. Well, I think given that for me, S&P is a big focus for me as well as 10-year notes. 10-year notes have been kind of challenging of late. They may have turned the corner. I have not made a trade based on that. I was I was short some um, put spreads last week and those worked out, but I've since closed them. I do think I'm willing to start looking at uh, selling some call spreads in the S&Ps. And then if those start to work out, I'll probably start to look to short the underlying. But again, not until we kind of test this resistance level and start to break down a little bit from it. So that's that's where my head's at over the next 24 to 48 hours. Fun conversation, Dave. Hope we can do it again soon. Thanks again, Ash. Really do appreciate it. Dave Floyd, thanks for joining us. And thank you all very much for watching or listening to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Before we go, we have a great offer showing the power of the Real Vision community in action. Genesis holder Major Duffels has helped secure thousands of dollars worth of tickets to Australia's largest crypto convention. It's all happening in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia, next weekend. The convention is hosted by the Australian Crypto Convention from November 11th to November 12th, only available for the first 50 visionaries who register at realvision.com forward slash Australia. That's realvision.com forward slash Australia. We'll be back on the daily briefing tomorrow. In the meantime, check out the Real Vision website where we share the knowledge and tools for your financial success. Thanks for joining us. Have a great afternoon, everybody. People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality, and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical. AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fists at the clouds.